0: Welcome to the Healthy, Wealthy and Wise podcast with Dr. William T. Choctaw, MD, JD, where the doctor helps you unlock your full potential by equipping you with tools and knowledge in the areas of health, wealth, and wisdom, anchored in his experience as a business executive, a physician surveyor for the Joint Commission, a former mayor, and over 50 years of experience as a general surgeon. You've got questions, he's got answers. So let's get started. Here's Dr. William T. Choctaw, MD, JD. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a
1: very, very special guest, Brother Keith Hansen, who we've known for a number of years, but who's been involved with some very unique activities, specifically involving education and involving our youth. And because we were so impressed with the work that he has done we invited him to join us on Healthy Wealth and Wise Podcast, and he graciously agreed for him to share some of that. This is about leadership, and this is this podcast is part of our leadership masterclass. And so, our hope is that as you listen to the work of uh, Brother Hanson and other leaders that you too will be inspired to do something like what he's doing or to certainly assist him and help him in doing uh, what he has been doing. So uh, welcome again, Brother Hanson.
2: Thank you. It's good to be here.
1: Thank you. So why don't we start off with just real basic stuff like, so tell us about yourself.
2: Well. I've been involved uh with the youth one of the things we were speaking about was youth and education and I've been at the church there for over 32 years and the last probably 12 15 years of that I've worked with our youth and that's one of my passions to help our youth and uh try to educate them prepare them for education prepare them for their future and so that's how I got involved and my three kids I've the things I try to help and share with the people are the things that I've done with my three kids. So uh-huh. it's something that I've learned through OJT, I guess you could say, and like to share it to try to help others.
1: What What is OJT?
2: On the job training. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Where you do it while you learn while you're doing it. Oh, OK. No, I got it. Got it. Starting off with my son first and our daughter, Jasmine, and our last daughter, Jada. He's okay. getting ready to graduate uh, soon here with a degree in neuroscience, as a matter of fact. Really? Awesome. Congratulations. Congratulations.
1: So so, wh- wh- how did you get started with this interest? So was it just...
2: Um, well, the the interest came about by need. It, some of the things, as you know, a lot of things that are uh made available or that happen or due to a need that is there and people try to fill the need right and one of the things that is uh passion and it started with my son was addressing the issue of the lack of males on college campuses yes Uh, a lot of times you go to the college campuses and the ratio of women to men is just overwhelming and we went to different campuses as he was trying to uh start school Some he had to go for different testing and all the time it was every 10 12 women you'd see one guy one guy and so there was a lot it's a lot of young and especially african-american males yes. that are wise enough to attend college but don't for many reasons that they didn't know what to do how to get there yes they didn't have the resources on and on and on so myself and some others started looking at that and then trying to meet the need and help with that through other organizations some that we got involved with one the council on african-american parenting which is phenomenal There used to be one called College Bound. And yes, uh, I've heard of that. That was one that we did originally. And then there were some issues there and it went away and it had been there for years. And then through that, through the things that I learned, try to share with other parents, families to help them along in their journey and you know, stuff like that. So it became a passion. And then through our church. Trying to help our kids there at church, you know. Again, like I said, the the male representation of African American males, Latino males, is uh, low, very low, and it, yeah. So that was one of the things we tried to address, and then it just became a a thing that I've grown to love and do. And uh, then there was a need at uh, church there to help with the Sunday school first with the boys, then they merged them together. So we started doing that, and then with the high school classes, and I thought that's the most perfect time to try to help address these kids with their educational needs, the boys and girls, (laughs) as they are freshmen. As you know, the uh, scripture tells us, without a vision, the people perish, and uh, a lot of kids had no vision, so therefore, you know what happened after that? They would become seniors, and they had no idea what to do, where to go, and how to get there, so... I would try to catch them at an early age, provide different vehicles, to, to help them achieve their educational needs and stuff like that. Um
1: well, you know, I, I, I think the work you do is extraordinary and I agree with you a thousand percent. Uh, it has been one of my passions, specifically the issue of men specifically and boys and specifically men and boys of color because yes. then it becomes a big conundrum. You're expected to lead a family, provide for your family, do all these things, but yet the source or the opportunities are limited for you. Uh, yes. one, one of my passions, and and you'll as you listen to other podcasts, uh, Rudy Chavaria is is a college mentor mm-hmm. who I met recently last month, and who's also going to talk this month about college and recruiting <laughs> students for college. And we were sharing the same system, the same opinions about it's it's the men or the boys that many times are are. Are, are not advancing as much as they should and, and 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 at the same time have double triple expectations on them right uh, and a lot of times it's what you think whatever you think is what you can do if you don't think you can do something then you won't be able to do it i i've, I've said many times and i'll stop with this i'm a physician today because my mother 17 year old girl who got pregnant in high school and had to drop out told me I would be a doctor when I was five. That's the earliest I remember it. Mm. And, and, you know, back then, if you were a girl and you got pregnant, you couldn't go back to school. Her her education was over. But she decided that she would put that into her firstborn. And she Mm -hmm. did. She did. Wow. And here I am. So I'm I'm a strong believer in that. And I do believe that it's it's different with men and boys. Uh, you know, yes. You know, girls tend to be, particularly as teenagers, they, they tend to be very verbal, write very well, speak very well. Boys tend to get that, but they get it later. Boys, a lot of times in high school or junior high school are considered to be problems because they're hyperactive. And I and I gave another podcast on this. I think we use far too much medication and have been yes. over-prescribed for ADHD. It's so not hyperactive. You, as a teacher, must find out how best to teach them. That's Amen. what good teachers Amen. do. Know, instead and that's, of drugging that's, them and, and blaming them,
2: and that's exactly true. Uh, one of the key things. Well, one of the things is is that, like you said, some kids get diagnosed as uh, ADHD, this, that, yeah. and the other, but. I, one of the things I try to tell our children, first and foremost, that they have to take ownership of their education and they have to be the driving force, they have to be their own advocate for it. When they go to school, it's that teacher's job, as you said, to quote unquote, teach. But many times some will have instructors and not teachers and you need to, when you roll in there first, you need to do an assessment to find out, do I have a, an instructor or a teacher that's really willing to work with me, help me and get me where I need to go? And then depending on the subject and the skill of that individual, they can make it entertaining, a- exciting to where you won't have these kids that are hyperactive, quote unquote, the disruptions in the class. I can think uh when I was in high school, I went to is High School, and there was a, a history teacher of all things that she had a wide range of kids that nobody else would deal with in that class, but they came in there, they performed, and they did what she did because she made it interesting and she taught. She taught us a lot of world history stuff. She taught us about, you know, different maps and countries and a lot. She was, before she became a teacher, a lot of the places she went, she was a nun and traveled there doing mission work. So she had first person knowledge and she captivated the audience. She had expectations for you. When you came in there, she yes. set goals for you to learn and for you to do. And people rose to the occasion. And it, it, I saw it then as a kid. And then 1984, when I was in West Germany, accepted the Lord, became a Christian, the church I went to, the same thing, that pastor had expectations for us to learn and what he expected us to do. And he taught as though we were in a college. So you rose to that occasion and you became what they wanted you to do. So Again, what like you said, many of our kids, they're not problems. They just have to, like you said, people have to take an interest, whether through the parents or the teachers, and find out what they're interested in, meet that need, and they will soar. I think of two girls at our church there. They were doing poorly in school. They didn't like going mm-hmm. to school. And I asked them, their so Sunday school teacher, what is the reason with they said that they were bored, they didn't like what was being taught, the curriculum, this, that, and the other. And I said, what interests you? And both of them, one was saying theater, the other said music and theater or this, that, and the other. So I talked to their parents and had them go to the performing arts high school at Cal State, LA. um, And they, I would see them, because I ride the train in the morning into Union Station, I would see them on the train excited about going to school. They would go there, they thrived. they soared. They went on to college. They both, I believe, went to the new school in New York for performing arts and things like this. But just that switch changed their love for education and their excitement about going to school, you know? So a lot of times uh, people have to put in the work again, whether the parents, the teachers, to try to meet the needs of those kids and keep them stimulated and keep them, uh, you know, learning. Otherwise, you know, they're gonna, they're not gonna do well.
1: Well, you know, the, the professions that I admire the most are teachers and social workers. Oh, yes. And because yes. in my life, as a foster kid and coming up to numerous foster homes, that was. Say that again. Part. A
2: foster kid? Yeah, I was a foster kid. I, I, I just found that out the other home. day, and I was amazed. I was like <laughs> <Is that> right. <laughs> but you know,
1: I I tell the story for the reason that you were just talking about that it is possible with 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 good supervision and and advice and people willing to help like you and others that you can take a kid like me or with my background and get us to that other level, and and that is the essence of of, of what what we're trying to do. Even with these podcasts, I I can tell you that uh, had it not been for some of those good teachers in high school, junior high school specific, because that's where I was a problem kid. I, I would not have made it. I would have been off doing something crazy because at that point again I was separated from my mother and so I was sort of lost, if you will. Uh, you know, right. Uh, right? But but I, I call them angels. The, these good teachers and and counselors. And and I have always felt, and this has been my experience, that a lot of times the counselors presently do not give. Minority kids, the benefit of the doubt, the minority. Kids come in and say, I, I want to go to UCLA. And they said, well, you know what? Most of our kids go to junior colleges, you know, and they divert them to a junior college, which sometimes junior colleges are great, but sometimes they can be a trap.
2: Yes. Two reasons. Yes.
1: Kid goes to the junior college because they figure it's easier than going to UCLA or USC for the first two years. It's not easier. Many times it's probably more difficult. The second thing, they go to the junior college, but they don't take a full course. They take one or two classes that they can take for five and 10 years. And so they never graduate. So they, it's like a loop that they, they they get stuck into. And so, you know, I, my approach has been to say, you know, Think, think bigger. Think bigger. Yes. Think Ivy League. Think four-year, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Because that, that's where we need our best and our brightest.
2: Do you, do you ever realize, and I realized it, especially when I was in the military, That, and then I started putting my mind on Rewind, thinking about most of the people I know from the Midwest, and especially down the South, going to the East Coast, their Mm -hmm. kids don't go to junior college they expect them it is an expected thing that once you graduate high school you are going to a university and that's the way it is and that's just the way they roll and that's just how they do out here it is a big thing to go to junior college but what i tell students now what i tell our youth if they have the academic wherewithal and if they are at the at grade levels and things that they are acceptable or accepted how can I say? It? If they have their A through G requirements and things tied and right, right that right. three point average up to where they're able to be accepted to a four year college, then yes. that's what they need to do Absolutely. by any means necessary. Absolutely, I tell them about that. There are so many ways for you to get there and pay for your school. A lot of kids, I tell them, you know, some say their parents make too much money, and I tell them that there's a difference between need based scholarships and merit based scholarships. Yes. My daughters and even my son. But the daughters especially were on fire with it whenever they found out about a scholarship that was available they were on it they were on it and they had money flowing my youngest daughter even did it the best before she was a freshman she had mm-hmm. over like $6,500 wow. in scholarship money. And then she was in our Inland Valley newspaper this year in December. She was one of the first recipients of one of the scholarships she got that was renewable. Every year that you're in college, you show them your your classes and they give you another yes. stipend of money yeah. for every year you're there. Mm-hmm. So there's, I tell them, don't let money be a restriction from you getting educated. Absolutely. And I think it's very important if they're able to go to a four-year college or go to college at all, the first year that they're able to go, I think it is imperative that they be on the college campus so that they're able to learn how to matriculate through all yeah. the different things that are there, learn to utilize all the resources that are there, learn to, you know, to take care of business all the way around, right. Right. you know? So it's, it's I tell them first and foremost, uh, and this is why I think reach back at a, at a freshman age and try to put in their mind that you need to do these things. I'll tell you this real quick. And this is something that I learned years back and I was staggered. One of the ladies I work with her daughter, um, we were working a Saturday and she was our, CIA, our chief information officer and she bought the daughter with her. And she was going to her office and the daughter wanted to stay there where we were loading software on computers and stuff like this. And right. so the little girl sat there and she says, she started talking with us and somebody asked her, what do you want to be when you grow up? And she said this this little girl was eight years old and uh she said after i finish college i want what and i didn't hear anything she said <laughs> i was like at eight years old there was no question of if i go i hope to get in i'm yes. gonna try to go i'd I, like to it's a thought going, i don't know I'm what going. to do and the cio she, it was a good friend of mine she passed but she's asian and she said at my house the way we do." college is an extension of high school. Just like kindergarten, right. you go to first grade. And right. from junior high, you go to high school. And after high school, you go to college. That's part of the progression. It's not an option. It is the way that it is. Absolutely. So I had put that in her mind and that's the way she thinks. And I was like, the power of that was phenomenal. Well, I was blessed to see this young girl graduate high school. She went on to Harvey Mudd. She got a, a degree in engineering, electrical okay. engineering. And then she always had a passion for teaching and missions. And again, like I said, she was Asian, but her her country she wanted to go to always was to Africa. So she went, I believe, with the Peace Corps for a year or two and taught math and stuff and then came back, got her master's degree. But I still remember from an eight year old little girl told me that after I finish high school, I mean, after I finish college, I want to be an engineer, I want all these things. And it was already done in her mind. Yep, so yep. the power of that at eight lived out through her life and it did what she.
1: Well, as I said, for me, it started at five. And yes. one of the things that I do when I talk to young people, and particularly young people who who maybe have not had it easy through life early on, you know, mm-hmm. and other types of things, that that parents are extraordinarily powerful with their children. Yes. Uh, yes. That, that, and, and I tell them, I said, be careful what you say to your children, because what you say, you, you, can, you can make occur, good or bad. You know, you can say, John, you will become a doctor, you will be a doctor, or you can say, John... You're, you're no good, you're bad, blah, 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 blah. So I tell parents, I say, use your words carefully. Yes, you can discipline your child, but do it in a way that does not defeat their, their character at all. I, Rick, just to share a real quick uh, example, as you were saying, I, I have six, my wife and I have six grandkids. And that's, that's the world, just a beautiful world. And my oldest grandson is named Vincent. Mm-hmm. And Vincent was having some challenges in junior high school. Vincent lives in Chula Vista, California, with his dad, my son, Preston. So my so my son called me and said, you know, dad, you know, would, would you have a conversation with Vincent, blah, 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 blah. And I said, no problem. So I I, I talked to my son and I said, why, why don't you let me let him visit us for a week? And so I, he, I, I, he came up and a good kid, basically, but it was the same basic thing. teacher doesn't like me, teacher's mean, teacher's bad. And I, I sort of looked at him and he's, uh, what was he, probably like about 14. And I said, Vincent, nobody cares. Nobody cares. I said, you're, you're going to have good teachers and you're going to have bad teachers. No, nobody cares if your teacher's a good teacher or a bad teacher. I said, the issue is, what are you going to do? That's right. What are you going to do? And I was able to, I I think we were able to have a conversation where he understood it was up to him. That you know the the quality of the teacher itself it, it doesn't really matter. Some will help him, some will not help him, but it's basically a wash. And you know now he's 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 applying to college, three point eight average, and Amen. you know a scholar. He's a soccer aficionado at his high school, and so so he's he started. He'll be starting college next year. Next okay, year, good. Where's he going to go to? Well, he's he's applying to all the UC schools um, and and maybe some schools outside of,
2: of UC. Did he receive any scholarships for soccer?
1: He looked into some. Didn't receive. He has one scholarship, not for soccer. His one academic scholarship, but he looked into some some scholarships for soccer, uh, but hasn't gotten anything specific yet. But but the point i I'm, I'm trying to make is that a lot of our kids never get to that point. They they yes. don't the say, I can't afford it. My parents don't have any money, all of which I'm sure is true. But what I learned, particularly if you go to certain schools, like an I believe schools, they pay you to come.
2: That's right. Because That's you're right.
1: doing them the favor. That's right. <laughs> and I will, you know, as I went through Tennessee State, I struggled with money. I, I worried about it almost every day. But when I got to the point where I was able to get into a Yale, Yale says you don't have to worry about money anymore. You will uh-huh. not drop out of Yale because you don't have any money. Now, Amen. if you have scholarship, probably be a grades problem. It's a different issue. But right. we will not allow you to drop out because you don't have money. And and they didn't. And 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 I did not drop out. So so those things are there. But you got to get to that level, and most students don't know that. They don't.
2: One, know. That. one of the things and. In- to your point there about just what you said could have ignited something in him that will will help him soar for the rest of their life i always say uh it's an aeronautical thing that your attitude will determine your altitude yeah. and yeah. If your altitude is pointed up and you're excited about it and interested in it you're going to yeah. soar and hit the clouds i think of one of the things that you talked about the power of persuasion and what we say to propel our kids into greatness i always tell the youth about the bicycle i said as a kid you look at that contraption and you know you have no business riding that thing you don't know how to do it you could fall it's dangerous (laughs) could get caught up in the gears in the spokes and all this but because of the persuasion of a parent a father an uncle or whatever they tell you you can do this you can do this and you're thinking no i can't i don't know how to ride this thing and then you're going to take the training wheels off this is a death trap. But right. because you sit up there and gas them up, next thing you know, they're riding. They're doing something that they never have been able to do before or would have never done on their own because they wouldn't have tried it. And that sets them up for their life. And sometimes different times in life. They may have not ridden a bike for years, but as soon as they yes. see it, they can jump back on it. Once you learn it, you don't forget <laughs> to a level of believing into themselves and persuading theirself into doing something that they never thought they could do. So the power of, of persuading people to do stuff like that can set them into new heights and release them from the confines of, I could not ride a bicycle. I have to ride it with training wheels on. And uh, before they know it, they're doing it. And so that's, that's one of the things I was thinking of too. One of the things you said, a couple of things that are coming to mind, but One of the things is there's a guy named Jawanza Kajufu. Uh, He wrote a book called "The Conspiracy to Destroy Black Boys," and Uh he talks about things of what people say and do that can help or destroy Uh a young man. And he goes in many ways of explaining it. But one of the things he says is, "We start off how we how we love our daughters." Excuse me, we raise our daughters and we love our sons. Little Mm -hmm. girls at an early age, we start telling them, oh, you can't do like this. You got to sit like this. You can't talk like that. Oh, don't put your feet up on the table. That's not what ladies do. But little boys, they sit and laugh at it and let them learn survival of the fittest. So they just learn, again, OJT, where little girls are very deliberate and intentional, you know. And so I think this is where we get little girls, like you said, that are on point, taking care of business. Yeah. Uh, my daughters were homework machines, and they yes. were self-sufficient. Yes. I didn't even a lot of times know what was going on, but they said, oh, it's taken care of. I got it. My son, I had a whiteboard, and we go through painstaking <laughs> stuff, doing it over and over, but he got it. He learned it, but it was a right. way different it's, it's a boys thing. and girls are different
1: and it's oh. biological uh, you you touched on it but one of the points I think is so important in terms of youth and youth development and 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 scholarship and that's competence yes competence. Yes. Yes. The reason why I was able to, I think, in terms of what my mother told me, she told me I would be a doctor. Now, I didn't know why. I didn't even know what a doctor was, but, but that put it. a certain level of confidence in me. So, well, my mother wouldn't lie to me because she's my mother, right? So, I just mm-hmm. took that with me till I sort of figured it out. And and what I see a lot of times in school and even in families, that we destroy the confidence in our youth. Again, by stuff we say to them when we get upset. Yes and we criticize them by by talking about how they look, if they're too fat, if, if they're too dark, if they're too right. tall, if they're too short, blah, 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 blah. We destroy that confidence. And once that confidence is broken, then it's difficult for them to, to, to move up and, and to get it back together again. And so we have to make them, let them know that they can be anything. I still tell my kids, there are no limits on you. There are right. no things except what you put on yourself. If you That's want to right. do it, you can do it. So, so go for it. Go I, for it.
2: I tell people that raising children is like holding wet clay in your hand, and everything you do molds and shapes them. That's and true. whatever you do leaves a scar on them. It can be a good one or it can be a bad one. I think one of the things, too, that I was telling our youth is oh, two things. One, that whatever you go to school for, whatever you want to study, now there's been a shift back in the day. They used to tell kids, go to school and study what you love. I don't say that. You Uh need to meet your education. You need to take control of it. It needs to meet these three requirements. Whatever you study needs to be scalable, sustainable and marketable. If it does not meet those three requirements, you do (laughs) not have a career. Yeah, okay. Yeah, you yeah, have yeah. a job. Yeah, and yeah. So therefore, then I went to explain them the difference between a career and a job. Yes. A career, I can put you in Djibouti. I can put you in Somalia. I can put you in Texas. And anywhere you go, you can get your job because that's something that is marketable. It's scalable, levels for you to move up into and sustainable by nature of what it is that you do. So you will be able to enjoy eating and living indoors. I was telling the kids. Again, one of the things, well, and it started way back with Xavier, Pastor uh-huh. Dockery's grandson. Uh-huh. He put him in a school in Hacienda Heights instead of with his friends because he was messing up. Mm-hmm. He took the initiative to take him out of that before he drowned and and failed and put him somewhere to be able to succeed and he was very upset and he was talking to me about it and we talked and i said to him what's the problem with it go there's a book called grow where you're planted i said you're there you go you soar you take care of business and do what you need to do and get it done don't worry about all those Right. He says, oh, I can't go there. And it's a school. I said, what's the difference? He says, oh, there's a lot of Asian kids over there. I said, so what's the difference? Yes. He said, I'm not oh, as smart as Asian
1: them. Go. <laughs>
2: he said, "But well, there you go. That's the truth. <laughs> he said, I'm not as smart as them. I said, that's not true. And it was like EF yes. e. Hutton, all those kids in the class kind of got quiet. And I said, If you do what they do, you will be as smart as they are. Yes. And they started listening. And through College Bound, we learned about some of these things that happen like this, that it is deliberate and intentional with their education. I asked them, I said, how many of you, when you come home from school, rewrite your notes? None of them raised their hand. I said, Mm -hmm. okay. I said, how many of you go to tutoring at least two to three times a week after you get out of school? None of them raised their hand. I said, how many of you go to Saturday school? None of them raised their hand. I said, these are some, if not all of the things that if you did what they did instead of spending time on MySpace, you know, Snapchat, yes. this, that, and the other, yes. video games. You got to take ownership. This is when I was telling them of your education at an early yes. age and you have to put it into it. There is no free lunch. Okay. It's not just going to happen. It's not magic. I said, so through College Bound and Cerritos, their office was, and some of the people in the neighborhood there that were Asian was telling the people of College Bound that during the summer, the next year's grade, if they're going to the eighth grade, they have people work with their kids during the summer with their math, English, science books, all these on their own, uh-huh. going through the book at least once, if not twice during the summer. So when they roll into class, it's the third time seeing it. If you yes. saw it three times, you'd look like a superstar too. Right. So again, I said, if you did what they did, you will be as smart as they are. But in the work, it is not put in the work. Just, yeah. it's not inbred, it's not inbred but we, we talked about this again with some of our own kids, a couple of them, i put them on, put them out there, but it's true. Is it learned behavior or is it inbred intelligence? And I think of, of brother Patrick and sister Patrick, I knew them both before they were married and was with, uh-huh. with them and then brother Patrick and I went to college together. He helped me really? graduate, dragged me through, but <laughs> their, their sons are brilliant, each one of them in their own way. And I said, is it because they have two brilliant parents that they produce brilliant kids or is it a system they have at their house that yes. learned an appreciation yes. for education, made them as brilliant as they are? Uh, there's a couple other families the same way, but that was the first one that came to mind. I, and I've noticed some of the parents that appreciate and really work hard at their own education, they instill yes. that in their kids. And therefore, yes. so some of it is a learned behavior behavior. I don't think it's necessarily just inbred by nature of the parents producing brilliant kids. But so you, it you takes work. work.
1: You you just mentioned another church connection at St. Stephen's. I used to yes. teach uh, Sunday school at St. Stephen's back in the day. We're mm-hmm. talking about the 70s now. Okay. Faye Patrick was in my class. <laughs> Faye Patrick was always a 4.0 student, straight right. up with everything. That's I right. I knew her well. I watched her grow up. And, <laughs> and one of my joys uh, has been when I've seen her, you know, married and with her kids and her sons and that sort of thing. But but to your point, she, she, she was 4.0 in high school. She had it in her head. that That's that's the way she was going to roll. That's the way she was going to do it. And obviously, and I'm sure her husband's contributed to that, but she passed it on to her kids. Yes. I, the, the other thing that I see, and, and I, I, I want to get your thoughts about this, there's all sorts of traps for our kids. One trap for our kids, Trump University. <laughs> i point very simply is a lot of things that are called colleges are not colleges. Okay. A lot of things that are called schools or, or universities are not universities. And, and, and what it does, it destroys the very best and brightest of our young people who barely get through high school, scrape together a few dollars, take out loans, whatever, 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 and go to XYZ school, you know, to get a certificate, but can't, going back to your point, can't do anything with that certificate. You know, Mm -hmm. and even some of them are told that it's a college. It's not a college. It's not a college or a university. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so there are even traps that work against our kids, even the ones who try. Parents try. And a lot of times parents don't know. If they've not been enough to go through that that experience, they don't know what that's like. And so many times it ends up being a double, triple whammy for our kids, particularly minority kids and particularly minority male kids.
2: Yes, I think one of the the things we have to be willing and I try to more to share the knowledge when we have it, as well as the parents have to be willing to receive it and do something with it. Uh, next week, uh, I think it's next week, February 10th, the Black College Expo is coming up. And back in the day uh, when my kids would go, a lot of times I would take boatloads, truckloads of the kids and yes. the parents, oh, they're too yes. busy, this, that, and the other. I want them to go by any means necessary see what's there learn and have that experience and see what's out there but the parent involvement is paramount i have a relative her daughter is a brilliant girl i want her to go but the parent when i told her about it happening oh i think i have to work this that and the other they have to take and make sacrifices for it i have two other uh, young boys i'm going to try to take them their father died recently and the mother is raising them now and taking care of them brilliant kids And I said, if you can't take them, I'll take them. But the parents need to know what goes on, how it goes on, what's happening. So they know how to work with them and navigate the stuff. Many times, if you do what is necessary, you can prepare them for success before. Through uh, College Bound, they have a couple of things that they learned. I mean, not College Bound, Council on African-American Parenting, Mm -hmm. that training of African-American boys and helping them excel in math will give them the confidence to do yes. anything and everything so yes. they have a program on saturdays they do at uh, uc riverside as a matter of fact my daughter jada who's very good with math is one of, one the of my
1: sons graduated from uc riverside
2: did he he's a yeah, older son yeah and they work with the kids and help them tutor them with their current math but prepare them for their next year's math so that during the summer they take a six weeks class with adults they're sitting in the first two rows they have These T-shirts that they wear, they have certain things they have to do. They have mandatory tutoring with a person before they go to class, and that propels. There was one of them, Chris Okeani. This kid was below junior high and taking college-level classes with adults, but because of the preparation they did, he soared, okay? And some of these adults were tripping that I'm grown, and these young kids in these first two rows are killing the math, but they put in a lot of work with them, and so it – propels them when they do it for six weeks it gets their next year's math out of the way my son the first year he did it and he went to etiwanda high school i went back and showed them what he had done and i caught all kind of problems i had to go to the because they were like this is something that quote unquote most kids they didn't want to say african-american kids don't do during the summer they don't take extra classes so they were got to do that this is not
1: normal
2: this is yeah they would say this is not normal this is and i'm like okay but it's not illegal And I had to fight with them, but after going through the motions and they saw what was happening, then it was well received and they gave them the next year's credit and propelled them so that you finish calculus before you graduate. So there was no question about, are your math skills good enough to get you into college? And that was a big problem for African-American boys. So again, it takes work. We was going to Saturday school. We go to the program that's on Sunday. These things take work, sacrifice in order to to make it possible so that you can matriculate through your years of freshmen, this, that, and the other, and little things that you learn and, and transfer to these kids along the way to help them be successful. Uh, right now, there's a huge number, well, not a huge, a large number of African-American boys that get into college as freshmen, but by the time the four years is over, they vanish. They, right. they yes. you have to graduate. Just so going, going to college alone
1: is not enough. you got to graduate. Correct
2: that's the other thing we have to address and help them make wise choices and keep their skills together where they don't fall apart i think of one of our young boys who did that and i had him in high school he was going to grambling and all of a sudden he called me and was telling me there was some problems and i didn't know what happened thought he ran out of money but that wasn't a problem it was academics but mm-hmm. his backup plan was to go in into service he went in the air force he soared and is killing it and doing great mm-hmm. so he had enough wherewithal to know that the toilet was getting ready to flush on what he was doing, but he had a plan to do something right, else, to rescue something himself in. and keep going forward, which he did.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Healthy, Wealthy, and Wise podcast with Dr. William T. Choctaw, MD, JD. Be sure to check out other great episodes covering areas of health, wealth, and wisdom at thwwp.com. And while you're there, be sure to check out the books, blogs, and other literature in your preferred format. And don't forget to leave a review, subscribe, share, and support the podcast. That's at THWWP.com. You've been listening to the Healthy, Weather & Wise podcast with Dr. William T. Choctaw, MD, JD.